Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I am so proud to say that I've had an unbelievable guest, one of the most powerful episodes I think I've ever recorded with a lady called Jeanette Marks. Jeanette is the CEO, the global CEO, at a company called AirSwift. AirSwift are a huge workforce staffing and solutions organization headquartered in the US with 62 offices worldwide, 900 employees, and 7,500 contractors that they support. Jeanette's been with the business nine years. She previously worked for Adeco and was leading a, a, a huge operation for them across the US um, and has been in the recruitment industry for over 20 years. What I love about Jeanette is the fact that her mindset and how she's done what she's done and the things she's been through are simply incredible. She's an author of a book called Together We Rise, which she co-authored after the pandemic with 16 other female leaders in the staffing industry globally. Um, and we talked in this episode about how she's grown her career as an entrepreneur and become a global CEO as a female whilst having a baby and a, running a business, everything she's done um, to get to where she was at the beginning of 2023. And then we talked about the impact of finding out that she had stage two breast cancer on at the beginning of March this year. We talk about how she dealt with the news, all of the skills and experience she had, and because of the book she wrote was about dealing with, with, with in crisis moments and stress and how to stay calm, how she put everything into practice, um, and how she has managed between the beginning of March and the end of April, she was back to work cancer-free. She went through surgery a series of uh, different of different operations she met with she built a team of doctors around her and she took control of a life or death situation and has come back to work with a with a sense of um a different sense of life like she's she's incredibly still still incredibly motivated to give back to build a business and to, to help her people but also there's a level of I think of calmness when you've been through something so serious. So in this episode, we went through everything. I found it, there was moments where I had to take a deep breath and, and you know, I was, I was getting quite emotional myself. Um, and I, I'm just inspired by such an amazing woman who, and what she's achieved. And I think anyone out there who's dealt with serious illness, family members, friends can resonate. And anyone who's at the, at the helm or wants to be at the helm of a larger business you can also resonate with with different things we discussed. So please do tune in. It's a little bit longer than normal. We're about an hour and 15 minutes in total, but I promise you it will be worth every minute. Without further ado, Jeanette, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here to, with you today. 
I know. But it's It's been a long time coming, and we'll talk about that, but I'm delighted to finally have you on the show. Um, Jeanette, you're, where are you dialing in from again today? Tell us whereabouts in the U.S. you are. I am dialed in from Houston, Texas. So it's nice and hot, and we're having a sizzling summer, and it's good. So um, you, you finally caught me when I'm in my home base and not traveling and not anywhere else. So it's it's a good day. I bet, I bet. We're having, um, I don't know if you know much about the weather in the UK right now from the London offices or whatever. We, um, we're having a really awful summer, I'd say. We had a really warm start. Like we had a, I think it was April, May was, no, May and June was brilliant. And then July has been a washout. And it's quite, I mean, now the sun's coming out as I'm saying it, but it's been cold. Like, I mean, we're talking wearing big jumper hoodies and things all the time. Like, it's genuinely quite cold. We're hoping we'll have a summer at some point, but I'm going on holiday soon, so I don't really care. That's why you need your holidays. That's why most yeah. people take August off, right? Yeah, vaca <laughs> vacations in the UK are, are essential. Um, yeah. Look, Jeanette, um, we're going to get into a lot more detail, but for the, for the start of the show, I always ask people to give us a bird's eye view of you and your business and what you what you're responsible for today so i don't want like the historical stories just the number of people head counts what you recruit etc from a bird's eye perspective wonderful hello everyone i'm jeanette marks i'm the ceo of air swift air swift is a global workforce solutions company we specialize in the stem field so they're your science technology engineering math fields uh, we have a big business in energy infrastructure process and markets our specialization has been engineering for over 40 years. Um, we're doing more in the technical um, areas now as well. Uh, you can find us on almost any continent around, uh, around the world. Uh, we're about a $1.2 billion company. We have over 900 uh, full-time employees around the world, um, servicing about 7,500 contractors right now. Wow, that is some serious scale. And how many offices do you have? We have 62 offices um, and we have our contracting business. We have our executive search business. We have a retained search um, group, Ducatus. Uh, and we also have our global employment outsourcing business line as well. Um, so we move people all over the world. We do quite a bit when it comes to immigration visas, partners, getting people set up in the right place. So we really are different in that we recruit globally um, to provide the right local talent, um, where, whatever our clients may need. Wow. That is... That is some serious scale, you know, 9,000, was it 900, sorry? 900, 900 full-time yeah, employees. Yeah, 900. So, you know, you're close to that thousand mark, which is a mm -hmm. big milestone. Not many organizations in our industry ever get to that. And to be at the helm of that, the global CEO, I'm, I'm getting that right. Yeah, you're, you're yep. ultimately at the helm of that. It's a big job, you know. I'm the CEO of about 30 people, and it feels like a big job for me most days. So I can't even. CEO job, no matter how how big your company is or how small it is, is a huge job because it's got a lot of responsibility, and you carry the weight of the company on your shoulders and the decisions that you're making, whether it's for growth or, you know, st yeah. stabilization, etc. Your your path forward. There's a lot that falls on on the CEO to make decisions and getting the right team around you, getting the right people to help you lead um, is critical. So 100%, big lesson throughout 100%. my whole career. So how did you get into recruitment? Let's just start there. Like, What was the story about you becoming part of this industry? Like many of you, I fell into it. So not something I was looking to do. Um, I was actually seven months pregnant with my son and wow. uh, got laid off at the mortgage company I was working at. So at seven months? Seven months. Yep. So when you're seven months, was it anything? Up, was it anything to do with that that they let you go? Or? No, it's the whole department. It was during a bad time in the mortgage industry. It was in the '90s, and so the uh, 
businesses were all going down and my whole department finally got laid off. You could kind of tell it was coming. And so seven months pregnant today. Yeah. Well, and I went on a couple interviews. When you go on interviews and you're pregnant, it's like mortifying. (laughs) So I go on a couple interviews and it's just like, do you say something? Do you not say something? And back then, you know, and I want to be transparent. It was difficult. So I got referred to Olston Staffing Services, which is now part of the depot group. And I went in and I said, okay, I can't do all these interviews. I can't, you know, no one's going to hire me, help me. So they actually put me out on um, two different short-term jobs that carried me up to my due date. And they were amazing. It just, to me, it was like a lifesaver. I was like, that is just, thank you so much. And I went on my maternity leave. And when I came back, they tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I'd come into their office and help them. And they had offered me another job that was paying more for a client. And I just was so indebted to them. I'm like, no, I will take your job. I will come in and help you. It's supposed to be a three-week job. Well, lasted a lot longer than that. <laughs> and, what, was the, what was the role they gave you? They, uh, they were moving their office and they just needed somebody to help with the phones and making sure that everything was, you know, running okay while they were in chaos. And Within that three weeks, I found myself in the back on a recruitment desk, recruiting and making placements. So it was pretty. It was a very quick move, and uh, and at that point, though, I fell in love with it immediately. It was in the '90s. It was back when your job orders were this high, and the number of candidates you had were like this, um, kind of like it is today. Yeah. And um, yeah. and so we. You know, I, I was able to really say, okay, which company is doing really, you know, well and could be a great career for, you know, one of the candidates that I'm representing. And it just, it became really fun to, to make those matches and to bring them together. And so my career started in California, in Northern California, in Santa Clara. And um, I absolutely fell in love with it. And shortly thereafter, my husband and I moved down to Southern California and I stayed with Olston and every six months I was getting promoted, you know, so I went from recruitment to sales, to managing, to, you know, leading an onsite to doing, so I, I was able to do so much and get so much early experience um, that it helped to, to shape me. And um, of course, Adeco bought out Olsten and um, I was with Adeco for 19 years and multiple different um, business lines, different categories, uh, running different, different parts of it. So it was a really great start to my career and journey for me to almost have a field day and helping people every day and figuring out how um, to structure um, growth. Um, and really what do you think? Growth. What do you think was your? Why were you getting so many opportunities? Right, because a lot of people in recruitment. That's obviously this big organizations that, that offer different types of opportunities. But a lot of people who do really well at recruiting on a desk. You know, it's it's not always advantageous to move them off it because they're profitable, they're doing well, right? So I guess, how did you keep reinventing yourself and why do you think people above you were spotting you as the the person to take the next challenge? Um, I think it has a lot to do with your attitude and your approach. Um, And I looked at the business holistically. So yes, I needed to do my recruitment, but I was taking care of clients. And so my client management really went to the next level as well where, for instance, early in my career, I had one of our largest clients who went out to bid every year and you were at risk of losing, you know, your entire contractor base every year. 
um, we had somebody go in and completely undercut us. And, you know, they, our relationship was so tight that she came to talk to me about that. And I was able to sell to them why we couldn't go down and the type of service that we did and what she saw in the delivery and we retained it. And so there were wins throughout my early career, which when I look back at, I'm like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty special. Uh, but those types of wins, I think, set me apart from your traditional recruiter who's focused on, okay, I got to take care of these jobs. I got to take care of these candidates. But when you're looking at the business bigger and you're looking at it holistically and you're building relationships across the board where you can save business, retain it and grow it, um, you're doing much more than what your quote job description is. So yeah. I think I think recruiters have the best opportunity for growth when they take advantage of the position that they're in and really operate as you know many owners of their desk, of their area, of their clientele, because um, there's so much you can do with that, and there's so much growth opportunity. And so that mindset of growth, that mindset of um, really ownership, even though I was working for a big company, um, really helped, I think, navigate and help me grow my career. Amazing. I think I started my career at Randstad and mm -hmm. I was there for just under two years. And, and then I joined a boutique firm where I was like the number mm -hmm. seven, eight in the door. Right. So I, I didn't have a long time at Randstad, but I could see the way people's careers were evolving at Randstad and my bosses and, it was a different type of job. It was very, very holistic. It was very big. It was moving to different states and taking on teams and divisions. Whereas I then went to this business that was a startup and we were just like, let's just make some cash and build it as we go. And when I left five years later, we'd got to 55 heads and I was running half the business. And but it was and I'd, and I'd moved up the ranks, but there was only so many ranks to go in that business in that time. Yeah. Right. Whereas how big was the organization? that you started in that was was acquired by Adeco? Uh, that was big. It was the third largest staffing firm in the world at the time. So it, they were, I mean, it, they were huge. But I, I think there, there was one point where I had a turning point from recruitment and leadership. So yeah. there was a so when I moved over to the specialization, accounting and finance specialization, and I was running an office um, with a team, one of my um, executive recruiters um, who focused on um, direct placement, um, was on vacation for a couple of weeks and I covered for her, made three placements. Like it was, she came back and she was shocked. She was like, Jeanette, how'd you find that person? How'd you do this? I'm like, everything I trained you on how to use the system, it works. <laughs> I was able to pull them out and you know, here's your placements. Look at this. So we, um, it, it was like, an, it was an eye opener for me because then I looked at the three placements and did the calculation on how much money I was making commission if I were running a desk instead of leading the office. So I sat down with the senior vice president and I said, I think I'm in the wrong role. I need to go be an executive recruiter now because I can make a lot more money for my family. There's I'm in full control of my yeah. destiny. This is where I need to be. He looked at me and said, Jeanette, you are in exactly the right role. You are a leader and you need to stay here. <laughs> I was like, no, I need a change. And he's like, Jeanette, your career will continue to go. Just trust me on this. One day we'll all be reporting to you. And it was like, okay. So I sat back and I went home that day and thought about it. Because, you know, when you think about your different paths and in executive recruitment, when you're on an uncapped commission plan and, you know, you create your own destiny, there's an alert to that. And there's a lot of people who yeah, make yeah, yeah. careers out of that. And I've got a lot of them working with me today. And 
there's a path, like there's a point in your career where you have to decide, am I an individual producer, which is a great career to go down and what you do, or do I want to take the leadership path? And you do make sacrifices when you take the leadership path. So it's, it's what really resonates with you and what is better for you. And that is an individual decision that only you can make for yourself. And both are good. Both are needed in our industry and there's no right or wrong answer there. So I, I was in your position. <laughs> I went down your exact, exact route. So I was like the top performer, team leader, earning, you know, over 200,000 pounds a year in my third year in London. And I'm, you know, I'm 28 and I'm like, this is pretty good life. <laughs> and then my boss says, oh, well, we want you to start managing. And, and when, it, when, he, when we went through the total package of if I hit bonuses, it was like, 60% of what I was earning. I was like, so I was going to go to like just over a hundred thousand, like, which is still incredible money, but I'm like, why would I do this? And he explained like, because you'll get bored. I know I can hear your dogs. Don't worry. My dogs, we all have dogs in, in the post lockdown world. Uh, don't worry. So she wants to make sure my, she's here. She wants to be part of the discussion. <laughs> he, do, you know, do you know what he said to me? He said, I think you'll get bored. He said, I look, I look at you, Sean, and you, you, you're a leader. He said the same, very similar. He said, you're a leader. I'd work for you. People want to work for you. Yeah. You've, you've conquered this. You're very good. You know, 700,000 pound biller. You're a great biller, but you can carry on doing that, but you're going to get bored. You, you know, and I also, being completely candid, I already had one eye on being a business owner. I already felt like it was the route I was going to go down. I didn't think I'd do what I'm doing. I thought I'd be a recruitment owner, which I didn't end up doing. But I thought if I can become a manager and learn the mistakes on their money and their time, then I'm going to be a more well-rounded business owner than if I'm just a producer, which I know so many people who've left as a top biller and actually they find it incredibly hard to grow anything because it's it's only ever been about them, you know? And you have to build a business and you have to build systems and you have to build, you know, a lot of um, individuals. Uh, if you only have to manage yourself, then it's easy when you're managing yeah. others and trying to build others and create um, their careers and lessons. It's it's uh, that's gets a little more complicated. <laughs> it's fun and games. So how did you how did your career grow? from there then so after that conversation he said you're gonna we're gonna be reporting to you one day which is was pretty pretty accurate what 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 went, what went next so i was in southern california at the time and so i was running a branch and then i got promoted to open and run all of the office lines of business throughout southern california did that during the recession of 2001 um so early 2000s which Everybody was shutting down offices and I was opening offices and we were getting them profitable within three to six months. So it was pretty amazing results. And, and so we continued to build from there. Then I became a regional vice president and had all the different specialty business lines underneath me. And we were for at that time, I was running the largest um, P&L um, in the U.S. Um, within our group. And I, I it was a very interesting moment. Um, my dad's one of my mentors. It's been one of my mentors throughout my life. And I was having a conversation with him when I was filling out my, you know, annual review and myself, you know, <laughs> report. And, and I always put, you know, I would not relocate. And my dad asked me, he's like, why are you limiting yourself? And I said, why am I limiting myself? I'm like, you want me to leave California? He's like, no, I just want you to have the decision. Why are you limiting yourself? And I said, well, that's a profound question. Um, I don't know. Okay. Yes, I will relocate. You know, I've got my family. 
Uh, my entire extended family is all in California. I'm like, why would I ever leave? This is home. This is safe. And so five months later, I get a tap on the shoulder from the president of the company asking me if I would move to the East Coast of the U.S. to be the senior vice president running the East Coast. Is this ADECO or is this the previous company? This is with within the ADECO group. Um, it's for oh, the yeah. finance and accounting side. So their LHH business yeah. line um, as known oh. today. And so I sat back and went, whoa, because uh, it was a surprise to me. because I'm a California girl. I was like, no, I know my business here. We're doing great. We're, you know, we're, we're doing extremely well. And went home, talked to my husband about it and um, said yes. And that yes changed the trajectory then again of my career moving forward. So we packed up and we moved from California to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I ran the entire East Coast for the company, and then it continued to grow um, and expand so, my my role. Just to just to expand on that decision. So, how many children did you have at that point? One, just one. And yeah. and how old? He was ten. Right. So ten year. I've got a ten year old stepdaughter and an eight year old stepson. So mm -hmm. I kind of resonate with that. And. Did your husband's job rely on being in California or anything? Or It did. So he had to resign and he had to become the trailing spouse, which wow. back in 2000, this was at the end of 2005, was kind of a big deal. Um, and there was no work from home back then. So he resigned his job in Irvine, California and um, helped me with the whole move while I was traveling and meeting all my new you know, offices and doing everything I needed to do for my promotion. By January of two, 2006, we were moving into our new home and he was out interviewing for a new job and his old company called him back and said, he's got a very specialized uh, um, skill set in IT. And it called him and said, we really need you still. Can you do your job remotely? And so they set up a whole remote desk for him, everything, home office. And so 2006, he started working remote. He still works remote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's like the earliest I've ever heard anyone doing that. Well, and it was it it was against the policy of the company. It was against everything, but for him, they they created that exception. And for me, it was amazing because I was traveling every week. I had 42 offices. So I was traveling every week to my different offices. And you know, and so my husband was home and he was there when our son got home. And so it was amazing. I was like, yes. Um, so that support system really helped me grow. Um, and help me do what I needed to do to really drive um, my region and to, to support my region. Uh, so that was a, it was a cool moment because when you look at COVID, I was like, you need to write like a list of, to everybody of how to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've been doing that, yeah. And in terms of being a mother and, uh, you know, being on the career trajectory and, and traveling so much, I guess, how do you manage that? Like, what was the, what was your secret to getting through that and not, not finding it too difficult because I, I know a lot of people would 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 just look at that and think I can't I can't see how I'd make that work. Um, there's there's always time. It's just how you decide what your priorities are and what you focus on, um, when and where you're at. So for my travel during that time, uh, typically it was Tuesday through Thursday, and most of it was domestic. So they were easier flights where I was on for an hour or two hours to get mm. to where I needed to be, and then back by that Thursday the sporting events, the things at school that were really important. They were on the calendar and they came first. So you need to make sure that when you're there, you're there and you're present and um, you're, you're cheering your child on and you're doing what you need for them. But many times we think that things 
can't be done and they really can. And I'll use my hardest example. So when I was, um, uh, so I was senior vice president, I'm in this role. I'd been in it for a while. We were doing great. We're hitting, so now we're hitting the recession in 2008 and nine. And I really wanted to get my MBA. I'd always wanted to get my MBA, but you know, hadn't been able to do that yet. So I started just putting some feelers out and talked to the admissions um, counselor at Duke University and find out pretty quickly after doing a site tour and everything, they want me. So they want me to do it. So it was an executive MBA where I'd be going to school every other Friday, Saturday. And okay, so I have my son who's 13. I have a full-time job as a senior vice president running a huge organization with a huge PL responsibility. And um, why in the world would I layer on an MBA on top of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's intense. It's not, a, it's not like an easy one. It's a hard one. <laughs> and so I sat down with my family, I sat down with my son and my husband and said, okay, this is what I'm looking to do. This is why. And this is the time that it's going to take. So I have to put company, you know, and my job first with what I'm doing. My weekends are going to be studying. You're not going to have me as much coming to son. You won't have me at your games as much. You won't have this. This is my sacrifice. I didn't watch TV for two years. When people would talk about greatest shows and whatever, I was like tapping out. I can't even follow. So I, you know, you, you kind of reprioritize what's the time we'll have together and what, what am I doing and why? And I asked them, I said, if you support me, I will do this. If you do not want me to do this, I will not do it because you guys are most important to me. So you tell me, and I went back on them and they both, of course, said they'd support me. Yeah, you can't um, say no in that. Yeah. <laughs> so they said they'd support me. And so when we went through it all, we had our moments. So our moments where I was really stressed because some of those finals were not easy finals. They were very yeah. stressful. And like our first semester, three people failed out. So it was, it was the stress of a big job, the stress of getting your MBA and the, the stressors of school and what you get with that, plus the stress of raising a teenage son um, and how you layer that all in. So it was, it turned out brilliant. Um, halfway through that is when Adeco bought NPS Group. And I was one year into my um, MBA and I was put as the head of, to integrate the finance um, professional business line. So I was running, doing my regular day job, had a second job doing the integration and doing my MBA and had my son at 14 at that point. Um, and so I don't know, you just, if you put yourself out there, you would be surprised at how much you actually can do. And did, you have any time, was, did you have any time for yourself to like exercise or meditate? I, I don't know what you do, but do you have any exercise. time to like, cause I'm thinking, Every minute of your day must have been so organized to get all that in. Did you find time for just you, not to study? So not to be when I lived in Charlotte, I was in very good shape. I had um, a personal trainer with a girlfriend every Monday and Friday morning. So that was clockwork. If you have it scheduled yeah. and you've got accountability, you actually do yeah. it. Um, yeah. So now I've, I have another girlfriend here in Houston who does workouts with me, which is amazing because you got your accountability partner, which I find in business and or in life. You really need that. It it helps even those that are the biggest achievers achieve more. Um, so yeah, I put um, myself first when it came to. I mean, I 
to have a German Shepherd back then um, as well. So taking my dog on walks every day, doing um, the, the time for myself to make sure I was staying healthy. When you're healthy, you have more um, energy. So it's not really about managing time, it's about managing your energy. And when you're managing your energy right, that means eating the right foods, drinking enough water, doing the things that really help your body um, function better, you can do more. So if you're feeling lethargic, if you're not feeling good, and you have to sit down and work, how long does it take you to get your job done? It takes so much longer because your mind's just not in it. You're not sharp right then. So by spending the time to take care of you, you actually create more time because you're more efficient. Yeah. So I'd look, you, at, I'd look at my life the last eight weeks, no, five, six weeks. I went to New York and, and Peru and then back to New York. And then I went to, to see my brother who's had a baby in Peru. And then I came back to the UK and then I went straight out on a day drinking with some friends in London, came back the next day, Friday, the 8th of June or 9th of June. And I felt horrific. And I mean, like I'd had a whole week of eating American food, pizzas and things in New York. And then Drinking a little bit every day, and then and then I had this big day out of like twelve hours of drinking. And I don't drink that much anymore, but anyway, I decided enough was enough. I got an accountability partner, a friend of mine, and we we've been you know I've not drank. I've had one day of a wedding where I had a few drinks since, but I've not drank. I've been eating right. I feel like I'm waking up early, and and this is a tough time right now economically, mm-hmm. and I'm having a baby soon. I've got all sorts going on. So, but I agree my energy has been sky high. Like I've literally not had one day where I've woke up feeling down or, you know, yeah. I've been, because I've looked after what's going in and that so many of us, we get stressed. We, we think having a blowout or, you know, a glass of wine and a bit of food or, but they, it leads to more stress, doesn't it? It doesn't help getting through those, those difficult moments. It does. I think everybody needs to know themselves in a way where you know how your body reacts to what, whatever it is you do, whether it is meditation or yoga or working out or, uh, you know, the way that you eat, your body reacts to this all in certain ways. And if you manage your energy right, that's how you become superwoman or superman. That's how you do more. So it's, it's all about managing energy, not time. Now I am very planned. So everything, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. Everything about me is very planned. Um, I can be spontaneous and I'll have some fun um, as well. But being planned and then knowing how to manage my energy in the right way. So for instance, when I took the job here at Air Swift, I was traveling nonstop and it was global travel. So I was 75% of the time on a plane in a foreign country, meeting with clients and our people and everywhere. And my work took on a whole different meaning. And when I did that, I started gaining weight. And so I gained quite a bit of weight while I was doing all this travel. And I just, I couldn't get into a routine, couldn't get into the right, I couldn't find what, what I needed to do. So what did I do? I went and saw a nutritionist (laughs) and I sat down in front of the nutritionist and said, I need help. Don't want to diet. I want to know with my lifestyle, what are my do's and don'ts and what should I be doing in order to manage my energy? And I, I, I mean, it was, it was quite significant from when I had started to where I had gotten to and it finally hit. What like, changes did you make? Um, we made a lot of decisions. So they did a full um, scan of my body, took a look at how my body interacts with different types of food choices, like mm-hmm. avocado toast. I love avocado toast. No fats with a carb. 
Like my body doesn't do well with that. It doesn't turn it into the energy in the way that I need it. So I learned and got educated on what works for my body, which is not what other people would normally tell you. They would say, oh, that's healthy. Yeah. You know, go have yeah. that. So I learned for me how my body responds to fats, to carbs, to food combinations and what I should eat in the morning at lunchtime at night. And when I travel, I take snacks with me. I bring my little snacks that I have and they're my healthy ones so that I never get so hungry that I'm eating something bad. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it, it, it's been, I, I think sometimes when you hit a certain point, go and get educated in the area that you need. And that education helped me. I got right back to where I needed to be and I felt fantastic. So it yeah. was, it was learning how to change my habits given my work, you know, schedule and where I was, because that wasn't changing in order to be no. good at my job. I needed to be able to do all that. Are you spending hours on LinkedIn and cold outreach and want more business coming to you over your competition? Well, if you're the founder or leader of a recruitment agency, here's what we can do for you. At Hoxo, we'll give you the training, support and resources to take you from what I call an offline recruiter, reliant on posting jobs and sending in mails to open up new customers, ultimately looking like every other recruiter on LinkedIn, to being an online recruiter, being seen by over 25,000 relevant people, driving a 200% minimum increase in engagement on your profile and seeing daily lead lists from LinkedIn that you can follow up with in six weeks time. And if you don't perform, you don't pay. Now, why can we make such a bold results-driven promise like this? Well, it's simple. There's two reasons. Firstly, whilst I've been building the RAG podcast, we've actually done what we say we'll do for our clients. In less than two years, we actually built a business generating from zero to over 1 million views per month on LinkedIn, leading to multi-million pound revenues with a sales team of me plus two people without making a single outbound cold call. Second is our track record. Not only have we done it ourselves, but we've helped over 350 agencies and over 4,000 consultants do it as well, it all in the last three years. Now, if that sounds of interest to you, click the link associated to this episode and we can book a call and tell you how we can help. Right, let's get back to the show. I, I can empathize and resonate so much. Like I've literally been on the same, while I'm not drinking, I'm, I, you know, I've been doing a, fa I'm fasting now. I don't, I don't eat till about 12, one o'clock most days. I, I train, I go to the gym three days a week. I eat after, my, I went today at lunch, 12 to one, had my food at one, which in the past, like not eating till 1, 8, 1 p.m. to me is just bonkers and, and some people can't do it. But I actually, I, I'm finding it so easy. I feel energized. I'm focused in the morning, just a bit of coffee. And then and then I've got like two main meals of the day and I have a little snack in the evening. And I'm, I'm My calories have dropped right down. And then I'm thinking about the protein and I'm tracking things. And anyway, um, it's having a plan and following a plan. And it is so seamless when you have that plan. And it's amazing how we can be so good in one area of our lives, like business-wise, you can have everything locked down, but you can be falling apart in other parts. And, and I've got some friends who, you know, they're struggling with their jobs, but they're they're in like the most immaculate shape. I've got other people that are so successful, but they, they feel awful and they're getting divorced or what, they're having all these issues. And it is trying to balance them all. What do you think, what do you think it is about you? Like, why, why are you doing all these things? So like, you know, you, you've just talked about running business internationally as well as domestically all over the country you, you you know your mother you're doing an mba you're then so you, you spot a problem you're a nutritionist like you take action where does this come from like where where do you think you've got this from uh gosh it, it is innate within me i've i've tried to turn it off a few times where i'm like i need to just <laughs> chill 
Like, how do I turn this off? <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's no on off button on it. So it's a, uh, it, it is a little bit of a problem. Um, did I just cut out or was I in? No, no, you're there. Don't worry. You're there. Okay. Sorry about that. So um, I, it is, the fire was lit inside of me and I think it was lit. I will say this. I think it was lit and talk a little bit about this in um, Together We Rise, the, the book that I um, co-authored with 14 other executive women in our industry in the world of staffing. But um, when I had when I gave birth to my son at an early age, um, a lot of people were naysaying, saying that's it for Jeanette and Jeff, they don't, you know, their life is over. They're, they're not, you know, we'll see what they do, but this is going to be tough on them. And within me, it was like, we're going to prove everybody wrong. We've got this and we've got more of this than anybody will know. And it just lit a fire in us to like drive our, our, our careers forward, drive our partnership forward, drive our family forward and do what we want to do. And so that fire has been in me. Actually, it's probably been in me from way before that because I was pretty competitive as a child growing up. Um, but, but but it's, um, I don't know, it's part of who I am. It's part of my personality. When you look at the, you know, top strengths finders, you know, and do that, achievers, my number one. So it's every morning I wake up, what am I achieving today? And that's what makes me feel good and accomplished. So I like days where I'm getting something done and I'm progressing and feeling like I'm moving forward. Um, it's just part of my DNA. Yeah, I, I can. I'm not sure I'm as I'm as good as you at these things, but I can definitely say I'm. I feel that I'm very similar in the way that I think, and uh, like yeah, everything's got to be moving forward. And even if it isn't, then it it'll, it'll frustrate me, and I'll be working out why and how. Um, it's mad because I met my wife when I was 24 years old, and I was a school teacher at the time, and um, I had no money. I didn't really care about the career that much. I was going traveling and we had a two month relationship and then I went off to India and I traveled, I lived in, and that's how I got into recruitment in Australia. So she knew me as this PE teacher in, in, in the city where we are now. And then we got back together 10, 11 years later and I was an entrepreneur and I had employees all over the world and I'd done all these things that she was like, wow. Like, but she that's said amazing. she spotted, I was, but she's like, you were a go-getter then. And I was like, was I like, was I? She's like, yeah, the way you decided to go traveling without any fear, I didn't know anyone else, she said, who, who could just approach a situation and go, yeah, I'm just going to go and do it. Like, no, she was like, there was no fear in, you, in your eyes to go away and leave everything you knew for an idea. And um, I was like, oh, so maybe it has been there. I don't know. I don't think I knew I was, I had those skills until business showed me there, that there was success in it, if you know what I mean. There are people who run towards risk and take on risk and are okay with it. And there are people who are very scared of risk and really try to shy away from it. And I think no matter who you are, taking risks helps to grow you as a person, whether it's personally or professionally. And the risks that are confronted with you, if you're scared of risk, if you're scared of change, know that about yourself. And then also know the different types of tactics to overcome that so you can make the best decision for yourself. And I think that that, when you look at entrepreneurs, when you look at people who have really succeeded, when you look at people who have taken the leap to do something different, those are all different levels of risks. And so when you're, when you're open to risk and you find your, when you find your comfort in the uncomfortableness of how to progress with risk, then, um, then you see real magic happen and that's where real growth happens. So we're all about growth over yeah. here in our sport. We like to push. <laughs> 
So tell, <laughs> tell me more about the book you authored. And you talked about, you know, it's and one of the reasons I wanted to interview you originally was you're a female leader of such a large organization. And there is a, a, a real underrepresentation of females at senior leadership roles in business, but in our industry, even more so. I mean, I've I've done 300 episodes and you could probably say 10% are females because of the amount of male leaders in the recruitment industry. So tell me about the book and, and your approach or thoughts around getting over that stigma of being a mother and, and that recruitment is not necessarily a, a long-term path for certain females. Yeah, so that was never in my head. Um, so <laughs> I think in your head you have to have anything is possible when you just go chase your dreams yeah. um, and go create, you know, if every day, if you're achieving something else, you're creating, you're creating and you can really drive your path forward. Um, so our book, um, it's, uh, it's been, it's together we rise and it is a labor of love. So back in March of 2020, staffing industry analysts were having their big executive forum uh, in Miami and of course had to cancel it because of COVID. And yeah. so that was, you know, well over a thousand people would have been in attendance. And one of the nights we had scheduled one of my other friends, another um, woman leader, Joyce Russell, was um, we were celebrating her book. She had just written a book. And so 16 of us were going out to dinner to celebrate her. So, of course, that got canceled. So in April, we finally realized, you know, maybe this isn't happening. So in April, we scheduled a Zoom call and did a book club. We're like, let's do a book club. Let's do our celebration anyways. And she'd sent us all the book and. So we did our book club and then the next month we did another book club. And then, I mean, and it's 16 professional executive women in the world of staffing. And we then said, um, this is really cool because there was so much change and so much uncertainty in the world at the time. We almost formed our own just support group where we were able to help each other and ask questions and really tie into what was happening both globally and locally and um, bounce ideas off of each other. And so then it turned into, uh, we would call women authors, pick a book and ask them to speak to us. And so for the next year, every month, we had a different woman author speak to us about their book. We'd all buy their book and we'd ask them questions. And then our questions changed. They changed from about their book to, what made you write the book? How did you form this? Tell us about the publishing process. And so one of them said to us, you guys need to do a collaboration. You need to write your own book. And we're like, ah, we're too busy. We got too much going on. And then we're like, tell us more about this collaboration. <laughs> so we did a collaboration and it's 15 unique stories about wow. each of us, each woman and how they rose to where they're at. And so um, I talk a lot about challenge in my chapter. My chapter is more my origin story. It's from when I was 13 years old to 23 years old. Um, and really what formed my mindset of how you really need to, I use the analogy of scuba diving, I love to dive, but I use the analogy of diving and I flip it on its head and it's about how you have to sink in order to swim and progress forward. So bad things happen all the time, challenges happen all the time, we're always hit with something new, expect it. What I love about diving is on the surface when the water's crazy and when there's so much danger, the second you start to sink, you start to find your calm. Everything calms down. You're away from the storm. You're away from the waves. And as you sink and get to your neutral buoyancy, you can find the calm and the peace to be able to find your way forward. So I really use an analogy on how to overcome, you know, different challenges and liken it wow. to one of my favorite pastimes um, of diving. I love to see the world from underneath. And 
you know, so I have some fun stories in there about, you know, encountering sharks or cave diving and everything else. But it's, you know, when you tie it in and you understand um, what you're doing and how to really accept, it's accepting the challenge is there. It's not going away. So I'm going to accept the challenge and then I'm going to learn how to um, communicate effectively through it with intent. I'm going to I'm going to learn how to own the outcome and work with the people that I need to so that I can navigate you know, to the outcome that I want and um, really drive it forward with, you know, learning along the way and being agile along the way um, and progressing. So anyways, that's my soapbox. Where can we get, where can we get that book? I want to get- You can go on Amazon. So yeah, go on Amazon and it's Together We Rise. Um, You'll see it's like rainbow colors. There's two Together We Rises on there. So get the right one, Um, but it's Together We Rise and um, you'll see the forward by Leslie Vickery um, and Lauren Jones. Um, but it's from the uh, later Lady Leaders Book Club. So we right. we still talk every month um, and it's turned into a completely different support group. Um, absolutely love these ladies. Half of them I didn't know before we started this. And so it was a really fun way for other women leaders to, to grow and to learn and to have support in various parts of their careers as well. A number of them changed careers during COVID. Some of them, you know, did different things. So it was, uh, it's been, it's been a journey and it's, uh, it's exciting that I, I feel blessed that I was part of it. I bet. I mean, it sounds incredible. And I think it leads on to really nicely into, you know, this year for you. So, mm-hmm. you know, this year has been an interesting year economically. And I think if we start there, how have you found across the air Swift business you know you got a number of branches and countries and all the rest of it how have you found the the economic positions in different regions post oh we everyone experienced the post-covid boom and i'm sure you as a business you were you know printing records and talking about this is a pretty strong market when did it start to turn and what have you seen from the, the the top of the business we're actually still doing well um so our our business is because we're doing engineering and we've got major energy um, clients as well as infrastructure. And if you think about investments and where investments are going globally, when it comes to alternative energies, new energies, um, infrastructure projects everywhere, um, process what people need. When you think about um, what happened with Russia and Ukraine and how energy security um, really got reset, um, our business has been strong going into this year. Um, and just because of the level of white collar engineers, the planning, the, um, the work that we do, we've been able to, to sustain, um, some of that growth, um, and continue. We've been making more investments, um, into our business as well. Um, so if you're looking for work, reach out to Air Swift. Um, but, uh, we've been making more investments in people and in different areas as well. Um, also been looking at, you know, mergers and acquisitions and different types of, how do we really bolt on and do more um, with our company? So we're in a really good place. Uh, there's always challenges um, in business, no matter what cycle that you're in. Uh, so you always have to navigate different different challenges as they, they come forward. But um, I feel um, like given the uncertainty about recession, no recession, it is a recession, it's gonna change and the hiring will change and the dynamic. Um, I sit on the board of the American Staffing Association. And so I get to hear from quite a number of different companies too in real time about what they're seeing and feeling. And um, right now, finally, I think I'm sitting in the right 
category um, for where the the market um, where the market is and where the economic um, macroeconomic. Um, what about from a technology is. perspective? Because I think a lot of the tech recruiters I know have been have been impacted because I think yeah. there's an there's an obvious you know a big overhiring in the tech space. There's been some challenges with you know banks in the US. Yeah. A lot of the VC funds are, are pulling the plug. A lot of the startup community have been affected. Is that not is that a different part of technology that you're your, you guys rely on? It's not significant enough um, to make it too much of an impact yet. So tech we've been investing in and we've been growing out and um, it's been great to see our, our um, IT and digital um, side grow through our current clients and then some net new as well. So we didn't over invest in that area. So we haven't had to um, make changes there. We've, we've, we more hire into our growth and hire into right. the ability to support that growth um, as well. Um, and then we also have um, our delivery centers that are in Kuala Lumpur and Rio that really help our salespeople and um, our executive recruiters around the world um, do more and be more productive because we have centers that really drive more sourcing and more candidates and more ability to get them to a short list faster um, than some of their you know, competition. So we've got some, some good uh, levers that our, our, our sales team um, really, really appreciate to be able to give them kind of a little bit more of an upper hand. Makes sense. Makes sense. And in terms of this year, obviously, we were due to have this podcast in March, which is the original chat was in January, February time. Um, and unfortunately, due to some personal issues and news you got that we, we've obviously delayed this till July. So if you don't mind, tell us, tell us what happened to you personally, because after what you said about the diving situation and the fact that anything can happen, some of the worst things that could happen have happened. So tell us about what went on this year for you. Yeah, I had to reread my chapter and really take my own advice this year. Um, so I, um, at the beginning of this year, all was great moving forward. You know, all good, best laid plans were out there um, with what I was doing for the year. And in February, um, I really got hit with the reality of, Jeanette, you have stage two breast cancer. And when you hear those words, you go, Words probably I'm not allowed to say on the podcast. Um, really go into your head. Um, on my show, you can say anything. <laughs> okay. So, so I. Can you take um, us back though? Can you take us back to that? Like, what? I guess uh, I imagine you you might have found a lump or whatever. You go to the doctors and then I actually you, didn't. You give it. I am okay. I I am going to be the poster child for your annual screenings. So right. no matter what country you are in, every country is a little bit different with how they view screenings. So I have, I feel blessed because I've been on the board of CEOs against cancer for the last seven years. My company wow. Air Swift, we participate in Relay for Lives every third quarter, every year, and we raise money for 29 different cancer charities around the world. We do it for health and wellness. We do it for awareness. We do it for education and we do it for early detection. So being that I was on the front lines for the last seven years, Every year, like clockwork, I have done my, um, my, I've done everything I'm supposed to do for my screenings. So I went and got my mammogram in December and then they called me back and said, you need to come back in. I thought they just didn't have a good screen. I went back in in January and they did another one. And that's when I realized this may not be good. Um, you know, they're, they are actually looking. And you something. felt fine. You had no, I felt, had no um, symptoms. I felt fine. I felt healthier than ever. There was nothing in my mind wrong with me. I was good. Yeah. And so for 
the doctors to find, for the radiologist to find something that then we need to go biopsy, then we need a test, then I need to get an MRI, then they need to reconfirm it all. And it was, you know, every couple of weeks, you're going back in for another test, you're, you're reconfirming. And during that time, I wasn't talking to anybody about it. I was just focused. I'm like, okay, till I know what I'm really dealing with, because you don't know what the treatment is either. So if it really is, what's my treatment? What's going to happen? And will I be out? Will I just be doing a lumpectomy? I don't know. What, what is, what's the process? And so this goes back to education. So when I was traveling the world and gaining weight, I needed to go to a nutritionist to get educated. I needed to get educated on a lot more. I knew, I knew enough with the work, the, the nonprofit work that I do, but I did not know enough as a cancer patient to be able to advocate enough for myself and to know what steps I needed to take and what I was in, what I was in the driver's seat for and what I wasn't. And so I called one of my CEO friends, who's a close girlfriend, who's a doctor and leaned on her and was like, okay, I need your help. <laughs> and, and shared, of course, the results and what was going on. And so she, this was hard for my husband, for my very first oncology appointment, I brought her to it instead of my husband. I was like, I need an expert yeah. with me because <laughs> we need to be able to ask the right questions. And if I get, if I get teary in this meeting, it was a meeting, not a doctor's appointment. If I get teary in this meeting <laughs> and, you know, she can step in and ask the right questions. And so in February, February 20th, we went and met with the oncologist for the first time and I didn't have my MRI results yet. So she's like, oh, you haven't seen it yet. So the doctor puts up the MRI results, um, walks me through it. And I'm sitting there staring at it going, okay, this is real. It was the moment where it became real to me. I was like, this is real. I've got to deal with it. I have three tumors. I have precancerous tumors, like precancerous cells all throughout. I didn't have a choice. I was going to have to get a mastectomy. And I was like, all right, well, that choice is gone. <laughs> that one's done. But I did have a choice on my doctor. So this is one thing that most people don't realize, men or women, you can decide which doctor you want to go to and which doctor is going to give you the treatment that you want. Doctors have different views. Some doctors are very stringent in certain areas. Some doctors are more flexible with what the patient may want. And the other thing I did in this um, meeting, which was advice from my girlfriend, and it was probably the most brilliant advice. She was like, Jeanette, at the beginning of it, let them get to know you, tell them about you. And she needs to, this doctor needs to know you as Jeanette. She needs to know you as a person. And so I was like, okay, I've never done that with really my doctors before, except for one I had yeah. over in Charlotte, who was wonderful. Um, so I sat there and I explained to her who I was what I do for a living, who I am as a person, the five nonprofits I sit on, the work that I do in the community, the like everything. And she was like, oh, okay. And so in that meeting, it was not your normal first oncology meeting. It turned into many sessions in that one hour that we hit and we like, we planned everything. Like I had done my research on this doctor ahead of time. We had done references. We had done everything else. I'm like, okay, so I know she's a good doctor. <laughs> I'm like, let's see if I connect with her. And if I connect with her, yeah. then we'll move forward. If not, then we had doctor number two, doctor number three, you know, lined up for who I was going to go yeah. to. So she was amazing. And so in that, we planned out who my medical oncologist would be, who I needed an appointment with, and who my um, um, plastic surgeon would be. And I made the decision to go outside of the medical um, 
the hospital system that I was in yeah. and go to a private um, plastic surgeon. That's a decision I don't know if many people realize they can make, but you can. And mm-hmm. I really wanted a plastic surgeon who, frankly, I was going to be torn apart. Like I was going to be going through surgeries and I wanted somebody who could put me back together and make me feel human, yeah. make me feel like a woman still, you know? So yeah, yeah. you like, you get torn apart. Like you, you realize what they're about to do to your body and you're like, oh my gosh, I am not going to be yeah. the same. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and each step you just, each step is, um, I don't know. It's just, it's intense. It's so much to take in. And I sat back and told my girlfriend after that one meeting, I had two other um, appointments set up that same week. And it was funny because a week and a half later, I was going to uh, Miami for the staffing industry analyst conference. We're tying it back in. And I was keynoting at that conference. And so they tell me it was one to two months to get in, you know, for surgeries and everything. By that Thursday, I got a call from my doctor saying, Jeanette, we can get you in on March 1st. And I'm like, what? That's next week. <laughs> She's like, no, we move things around. Both of us, we can get you in. This is the steps. This is what we'll do. This is how we're going to take care of it. And so I will say from February 20th to March 1st, that was the first time in my life where I dealt with stress at a level where I lost my appetite. I've never lost my appetite before. Normally stress I eat. <laughs> normally it's like the type of stress where you're like all right you can you can move forward you can you like you deal with it all I I normally manage stress pretty well that was the first time I actually lost my appetite which was weird a message from our sponsor Vincere to announce their portal access this is a quick win solution for agencies in need of a portal that their candidates and clients can use to access all the information they need through the job search this is a no code solution It's your one-way ticket to attracting top candidates and getting clients to review everything in one place. So you can easily set up candidate and client and job portals within your Vincere account and you can configure it so it looks just like your recruitment agency brand and it feels like you've developed it yourself. In there, you can publish jobs so they go straight out onto your website with one click and you can offer candidates a place to look at those jobs and search for the next role. Your clients, you can give them a link and they get their own unique login And so they can access everything. They can look at all the CVs against the job and all the progress and development 24-7. They can rate and review candidates and arrange interviews right there and then. This is all available now within Vincere. And if you're a RAG listener, you can always get an amazing deal with these guys. So click the link in the show notes and find out if you can use Vincere portals today. I imagine it was just at the forefront of your mind from the minute you woke up till the minute you went to sleep. And if you did sleep, you know, it's there. It's just always there, right? Yeah. Well, and and it's the unknown. Like you get diagnosed, and it's day by every day is a new day. Every day you find out something new. You don't know if you need radiation. You don't know if you need chemo. You don't know how long you'll be out for. You don't know. Like you've got to run all these tests, and there's so many unknowns, and people don't do well with unknowns. So, like in business, when there's a change, the more you can share with people, the better it is. Because if you leave it open to the unknown, people always go to worst case scenario. And it's normally not worst case scenario, but that's what we do. We just like to be negative, you know, (laughs) we go to worst case scenario and we like to, to, to think hard about, you know, the the wrong way about it. So I, um, that, that moment in February, I then said, okay, I told my direct reports, told my board, uh, my governance board. And in a few days I had to plan on being out for a month. I was like, Ooh, okay, <laughs> let's go disaster recovery plan. But then it, 
it also kind of made me laugh because another CEO had been out for three weeks on a vacation out of touch that I was working with on a deal. And I said, I said to my chairman, I said, I think I'm going to be out less than this person was out. I think I'm going to be more available, but I'm going to beat cancer while I do it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and so mindset, I just want to talk about mindset because mindset is incredibly important no matter what you're going through in your life. Mindset has the power of healing. It has the power of positivity. It has the power of how you really pull your energy together to get through the hardest days. And so I ended up interviewing all of my doctors, ended up picking my three doctor team, which I love and secured them. They, I have all their cell phone numbers. I have all their, I'm able to talk to them if I ever need to for anything. Mm -hmm. And I knew they had my best interests in mind. So I had trust there and I was like, okay, I've got my experts who are going to help me through this. They also were all extremely positive. So we didn't know if I was going to need radiation or not. So I do my first surgery, which is my single side mastectomy. They had to take out lymph nodes. So you guys are getting lots of information. And, um, and then I had to wait um, two weeks to hear if I'm going to need radiation. And they're not going to put me back together and reconstruct me until we know if I don't need radiation or not. If you need radiation, you don't get reconstructed. No. And so I'm sitting there for two weeks, having to heal, having to take care of myself, having to do everything now back to energy and back to taking care of yourself. For surgery, they gave me the, my rules of no sodium, high fiber, um, high protein, um, drinking only water, lots of water, very careful with the vitamins that I had. I didn't take that just for surgery. I decided what I was doing for that surgery and the next surgery I was taking for the next couple months while I healed. I was like, I am not doing anything different than what they told me. Cause if that's, no. what's going to make me healthy through surgery, that's going to make me healthy long-term. So it was almost like I created my own little day spa and my family members who came to help me, they knew exactly what my treatment was, what my diet was, what everything I needed so that they could really help me as they got through it. So on March 14th, I got the call from my oncologist that I did not need radiation. That Amazing. Very good day. There's a joy. <laughs> and my doctors were so positive. They had already scheduled my reconstructive surgery for March 17th. And on March 17th, which was three days later, because their calendars were booked for two months. There was yeah. no way I was going to get in and get it if you know, they didn't. So they moved things around and they created a Friday for me where they were able to do a 12 hour surgery and help me because I opted for a bilateral um, mastectomy. This is a decision that a lot of women have to make when they're faced or people that, you know, when they find out they have it on one side, but not the other side. And I got the probabilities for the chance of me having cancer on the other side. And I sat back and I was like, I do not want to be 80 years old and dealing with cancer. Like, I don't want to be like that. That's just something when you think about what you're going through, you just that that's uh, that, that was something I just don't, I, I wanted to mitigate the risk now. So talked about risk time to mitigate the risk now. So I was like, let's just take that it. Must out have been a big, that's a big decision, though, right? That's a huge decision. A very big decision. And there's some doctors who will do it and some doctors who won't. Um, right. My doctors would. And so it was interesting because I did that had my couple weeks where I was healing from it all. It was a six week healing process, but two weeks in, um, I then go to see my oncologist who's got all the reports now and I'm waiting to hear, do I need chemo? What else is gonna be my treatment plan? I am bruised, I am sore, I can't like barely walk. I am, I'm just, I'm a mess. And 
I sit in front of my doctor and she first tells me, she's like, Jeanette, so first piece of good news, um, my tests all came back. Chemo was not going to help me. I was good. And number two, I was cancer-free. They were able to remove everything. Wow. Those cancer-free words and no chemo, tears of joy again. Yeah. Actually, I should say tears of relief. It was relief. <laughs> that was the real feeling. But the other thing she shared with me, which I think when you think about risk and you think about your risk tolerance and what you're doing, because I was already going under the knife. I was already having surgery. And in cancer, it's about do they poison you? Do they burn you? Do they cut you? You know, what are your treatment options? None of them are good. <laughs> None of them feel great. So I um, sat there with my oncologist and she said to me, Jeanette, when I did your second mastectomy, we found microscopic that didn't come up on any of the tests. You had cancer in your right side as well. Your healthy side. Wow. Had cancer. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> I would have been going through this a year from now again, if I did yeah, not make yeah, that yeah. decision. And I feel so vindicated and so blessed that I made the decisions that I made during this time. And I feel blessed because my team is absolutely amazing and stepped up and I didn't have to worry about work for the whole month. Of I was going to ask that, right? It's not, obviously, yeah. it's not that important in the grand scheme of things, but how did you manage the business and what was your involvement? What did you do? I, it was all turned off. My CFO took over. My board was like, what can we do for you? I had the best support system you could ever dream of in a situation like this. Now they all know me too. They know how much I'm driven. They know how much I'm in the weeds of everything. <laughs> in. And it was the first time in my life where it absolutely turned off where I was like, I got to take care of me because this is life and death. Like I got to take care of me. Like this is time for me to go and heal and get better so I can do things in the future. Because if I don't heal right now, if I don't do this right, I'm gonna be having surgery after surgery after surgery. I'm gonna be in intense like pain and issues for, for years to come. And so I really need to do what's right for me. And so my team, um, my company, my board gave me the blessing of time and gave me the blessing of being able to cover everything while I was out. Um, I didn't come back to work till May 1st. Uh, the month of April, uh, I was off my pain meds, but I was still healing. So I log in and chat with people and do a little bit of things here and there just to, you, your Keep brain's brain working, you yeah, know, yeah, your, yeah. your body is not quite there, but your brain's working. And so I'm like, my brain is like, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was able to do, you know, remote work and just work when I needed to and not when I needed to rest and really heal. May was hard. I'm not going to lie. May was hard because I go from having all this support, food, balance, energy, like really healing to being back at work full time um, and balancing. I was still healing. So yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still healing now. And so it was, it was about healing. It was about doing the amount of work. It was about um, balance, finding my balance of where I could take care of me yet do what I want to do as well. June was my turning point. All my energy was back. And that's when I actually went, okay, I feel like I'm back to a little bit of me again. Um, and so in June, I got to travel a bit. I came to Europe. Um, last week, I was uh, traveling throughout North America a bit. Um, but I need to uh, balance that. And so I know that. And it's really um, taking a look at what you are capable of. Um, and 
I don't know, sometimes you can just surprise yourself um, with it. But I, I now, I sent out to the company at the end of March, I, I let my whole company know what I would, had gone through and what was going on. When I was going through it, people are pretty quiet about it because you don't know. And so if you know somebody who's going through something like this, the best thing you can do is, you know, send them food, send them flowers, send them your support, send them books, send them blankets, send them, you know, just send them love, <laughs> you know, send them a text. It can be as simple as that, but don't ask to stew. Uh, yeah. And that show of love, the amount of love that I got and received helped me heal. I like, I felt it. Yeah. It helped me heal. And one of my sisters who stayed with me, she was cute. She turned, she turned it all into a scrapbook for me. So I could see it later. And it just, it's, it's, uh, it, it was really cool of her to do. Um, but except like, and if you're going through it yourself, accept the help. It's okay. There's so many people who don't want to accept help and they just want to yeah. do it on their own. Sometimes you just need to give into it and say, okay, I'll accept the help. And for nine weeks straight, I had a different family member at my house um, helping my husband and me. Um, my son came and stayed with us with his fiance for a bit. My, you know, I was going to say that. How old is your son now? Is he late twenties or so? Yeah, he's late twenties now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm trying to work out the, the dates of when he was like thirty. Yeah. Right, so so. no, and they, you know, and they wanted to come and help and cook and do the different things. And all my friends in the support group were amazing. The nonprofits I work with, as they found out, were you know amazing. My work has been amazing. So it's um. I, I look back at this moment. This year has been tough. I mean, it is it is hard to go through some real serious surgery like that. Um, and it is hard to heal from it. Um, and it's hard to stay positive because when you hear certain things, it it's pretty jarring um, and pretty hard to come to terms with this is what I'm going to be now, or this is what it's this is what I have to deal with. Um but you can change perspective um, and you can you can look at things through a different lens and keeping that positive mindset helps you. It helps you heal. It helps you progress and it helps you deal with what you have. So, for instance, um, right now, too, like I'm on quite once you have cancer, then you get lots of medicines for the next five years as they're you know watching you and and um, making sure that they can prevent anything else from coming back that that also affects your body. So what am I doing? I'm making an appointment with my nutritionist that I haven't seen in a number of years to go back and say, here's everything I have to take. What do I need to do now? So I can manage it right. So, you know, go again to your experts, ask people what you're supposed to do. Get the advice that if you don't know, it's not always on Google um, and, and they don't always have the right answers for you. So I just look at it as, as I've built my tribe, as I've built my allies, as I built my network, my network came through in spades for me. My network was amazing. Um, the the women, my co-authors were beyond amazing in the support that they gave me. I did a last minute call with them before I went into surgery to tell them all live what was happening. And the outpouring from them was amazing. My C200 sisters as a committee of 200 with CEOs and board level women, they were amazing. So you just... The, the more you share or can at a certain time, the more you allow people to help you as well. Um, and once I shared it with my company, it was pretty amazing because I got um, a flood of responses I didn't quite expect. So you got the ones that you expect, 
But then I got a flood of responses about other people's journeys, what they're going through, what their family has gone through, what they need help with. And I can't tell you how many people I've been now given back to and said, okay, yeah. let's jump into this incredible. together and let's go. You know, it's like, we've things in different ways. It's incredible. I mean, it's not the same, but I posted yesterday on LinkedIn. Obviously, a lot of what I do is coaching people to be more open and share stories and and build their brand authentically. And I, I posted about yesterday was a year to the day that I was in hospital with my wife and she was going through an ectopic pregnancy. So she was rushed into surgery. Yeah. We'd had two miscarriages in three months and genuinely at 35, both age 35, watching her going through that already gone through a miscarriage. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this again. Like, I don't know if I want to, yeah. which means I, I'll never be a father. I've got two stepkids, but I was like, I'll never have my own because mm -hmm. we, we just got engaged as well. And I was committed to, I knew this was, this is the one. Um, and it's crazy, right? So we're in, we're literally, she's gone into surgery and we'd got engaged about a month before. We were so, two days earlier, we're sat there like so blessed. We've got a baby coming. We're getting married next year. Like we're so grateful. And then, within hours she's in pain we're in hospital and it's gone and it's no longer happening and i was like what am i going to do here like and i remember thinking the the one thing i remembered they said was you can't try again for three months so like you need a break your body needs a break the fallopian tubes being removed and and so i realized why am i going to wait till 2023 to get married i was like i want to marry this woman do it now we're in this and i said yeah i was like well literally while she's being operated on i'm i'm looking on airbnb and i found a, a villa in turkey where we could get married and I, I literally booked it within an hour of her coming out of surgery as soon as she agreed i was like we're doing it and we did it in three months so within in october 2020 we 2022 we got married and then we got pregnant again at new year and now we're having Congratulations. Out from our, thank you but Love i shared it. it yesterday i shared it yesterday because it was something i was talking about and I, it means a lot to me and she'd shared something on her instagram but the, the reason I'm telling you this is the message is back. The amount of people who are like, I've been through this. I'm going through this. I've been inundated with people. Like, and, and, you know, men don't talk about miscarriage. It's just not a Women thing. don't talk about it often either. It's, um, mm. I only have one son because I've had two really bad miscarriages. And it's um, one of them. A lot of the people who I worked with at the time knew because I already had two, you know, baby showers. And it was very yeah, late when I lost my my child. And um, um, that was when I was going to Duke, when I was merging with another company, when I was the SVP, and when I was, and that happened in the wow. middle of it all. And wow. so, and you look at tragedy and you look at what happens, but I'm going to tell you, when you lose a child, it's like, it's so hard to talk about. It's so yeah. hard to talk about because it's just so personal. And we don't talk about that enough. Um, we don't talk about um, some of those tragedies enough and allow the safe space for people to air what they need to. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because it makes me very emotional. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you want to be able to be strong and, and work through things. And uh, a lot of your mental health, too, is about how you deal with tragedy. And for that's sure. a tragedy. I mean, it's, it's hard, yeah. but the way you confronted that the way you faced it the way you said okay it's time to get married and then we're going to do this again that's beautiful it's brilliant because you're moving forward still and you're finding your mm -hmm. path and that's that's what human life is all about that's um you know yeah. it's about that type of growth and you can you know mourn what you've lost but now you get to really enjoy what you're about to have so exactly yeah exactly you can only 
acceptance of reality and moving forward is all we've got, right? Um, yeah. Jeanette, I want to say thank you so much for being so open. I mean, it's in, what you've been through is incredible. We've not even touched on that last story, and uh, you know, we, I don't, I don't want to take any more of your time up. I know how busy you are. The final question I have got is, what does the future look like for you now? Obviously, you're a super successful woman. You've got an amazing, you're, you're the helm of an amazing business. You've been through something so, so serious, so um, life changing. What does the future like? How would you describe your future? Is there anything you're going to change that maybe you wouldn't have said at the beginning of this year, or is it? What's the outlook like? I will say once you've been touched by cancer and you get the new title of survivor, um, things don't hit you quite the same as they once did before. Things get put into perspective very differently. Because um, yeah. when you're faced with, you know, a life-threatening disease and, you know, the unknown and the abyss of what does this actually mean, um, it, it really does change just the way you view the world. And um, there's a peace and a calm about it um being through it and going you know it's okay life is okay and where we go it's all right we're going to take it one step at a time and and it's all good so i i do feel peaceful i do feel that calm um i will say on my platform please get your screenings um the people who go and get their screenings and get early detection it is 100% treatable and so if we're proactive and even if we feel 100% healthy we're constantly getting our screenings you can save your own life. Um, so I know that's going to be different for me in my future with how much I talk about that and how much I really try to um, educate in different countries around the world um, where, for instance, in the UK, you know, screening start at 50 years old. I wouldn't be here talking to you guys if screening started at 50 years old in the US. So um, yeah, yeah. It, it's really you know, knowing your history, knowing what you need, go and do what's right for you and really be um, be in the driver's seat for your life. You know, yeah, make your decisions, don't second guess it. And for me, it's all about growth. It's about helping other people. I have always talked about my legacy to be able to turn around and see what other people have been able to do in the part of their lives that I was able to touch to help them grow that's what matters to me. I want to see people grow. I want to see people achieve. I want to see people be happy. And if I have a small little tiny part of their happiness, then I'm good. And again, I, I said final question. I feel like I've got one more. <laughs> Which this this show is traditionally I'm interviewing founders of business, like entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So it's you strike me as someone who you know you would have grown a successful business had you launched your own business is there ever been a time where you've felt that way or do you think is that in your future is there ever a time where you would go out and create your own business or is it is it is it that journey you're on is 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 what you're going to stay with so i i would say that those that work in big corporations you can become an entrepreneur where yeah. within that corporation you can really tie on the entrepreneur spirit and really build and that's probably what i've done for the majority of my career i will say my husband's more of the entrepreneur um and has done other uh bits of other businesses and stuff through our, our our lives together there has been times where we've talked about it but i am extremely happy in my career where it's been the size of business that i run today um what i do and what I really try to impart on those that are working for larger corporations is the impact that you can still have within a bigger corporation and how you can really build and build a strong career and really create that path for yourself. Amazing. 
Jeanette, thank you so much. If anyone does listen and is inspired to reach out to you, whether they want to work with you, just pick your brains on anything. Is LinkedIn an okay place for them to message you? Or LinkedIn is perfect. Yeah. Yep. Reach out to I'm me. I'm going to tag LinkedIn. you in here and I'm going to tag your book on this episode. So anyone who wants to listen, I'm personally going to go and get that book. I, I think it'd be amazing. Oh, we have an audio version now too. So if you want to listen to it instead of read it, it's on Audible. We'll get that. <laughs> We'll get that sorted out. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll get you on again in the future and see how things have progressed, okay? Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I wanna help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now we do have a huge coaching program but a lot of people don't know, we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.